Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. It is one of my least favorite Christmas carols. Not that you botched it, Teddy. You did fantastic. It just that and was a li- little drummer boy. I hate that song. And uh, Twelve Days of Christmas just give me a headache. But um, a little town of Bethlehem was just never one of my never one of my favorites growing up. Um, but we've added it into this series because there's a richness to that song that invites us into that night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And I'm excited because that's where we're going to head right now. Grab a Bible. It's Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We started this series in Revelation um, because we're the bridge, and that's just kind of what we do. But we, we do finish it in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It's page 857. The Bible's in the chairs. Really encourage you to grab a Bible. I'm, I'll have a lot of the verses up here on the screen, but a lot of the verses I won't. And so you're going to want to check to make sure that I'm not just making this stuff up as I go. But Luke chapter 2. And we'll start in verse four. Let me pray. We'll jump in. God, we do thank you for the words that we hold in our hands right now. And probably the most important part of our week is we gather together with brothers and sisters and we just hear from dad. And so God, may you bless our time together as we gather up and hear from you. May you eliminate all distractions of all our upcoming agenda items that we got coming up, whether it's Christmas parties, things at work, task list. Father, may you really tune us into what you have for us because you have something amazing. And God, may we not leave this place the same way we walked in, but with more of appreciation of what you've done for us. In presence in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as the lens of <clears throat> scripture zooms into Luke chapter two, he pulls a leather strap of his backpack and cinches the knot. And he hopes that he has enough water for the first leg of the trip. Not so much for him, but for her. For her to make this trip. Least he can do is keep her hydrated. And as he packs the cart that he will pull, she checks and rechecks the luggage. There's only so much you can carry on a 95-mile hike. And the new mom can't help but think... They're leaving as two, and we're already coming back as three. Do we have everything we need? And Joseph checks the straps on the wagon and says what all men say after tying something down. This ain't going anywhere. He looks at his very pregnant girl with a tender concern. This is going to be a long trip for her. No doubt looters scour the roads as travelers make their way home for the census, but he can't leave her here to give birth by herself. And so south they will head to a little town of Bethlehem. And Luke writes this in verse four. It says, and Joseph went up from Galilee, or sorry, yeah, from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house in the lineage of David. Now, if you're anything like me, maps really help and kind of bring things a little bit more to life. So here's a map of, of their journey. They're headed directly south, 95 mile hike, this would be roughly a four-day walk. Anyone here ever do like a four-day backpacking trip at all? Okay, we have a lot of adventures. And okay, a few. All right, that's awesome. Anyone ever do a four-day backpacking trip nine months pregnant? <laughs> you know, of course not. 
Uh, what's really cool, though, is, is parts of this ancient road actually still exist today. So you can see parts of, uh, parts of this road. One of the items on my bucket list is I want to I trek this route. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not walking this route, um, but I, I want to bike pack. I want to mountain bike um, this. I do not want to walk it. Um, certainly don't want to walk it with a girl who's about to give birth at, at any moment, um, but I, I will mountain bike it. I did this. Actually, we did this route last year. I drove this route with my, my dad and my wife. Um, I think I might have told some of you about this, but our car, we couldn't figure out our, our car. The anti-theft was going on, so it was just like beeping, just this constant beep. Um, and about the time we got to Bethlehem, I wanted to kill both my wife and my dad, and I think they wanted to kill me. And they didn't do anything wrong. It was just like, it just drives you nuts. That's driving, you know, what, 70 miles an hour in an air-conditioned car um, through this. They're walking, they're walking this. And it's interesting, when, when artists, artists dip picked this route right here. Um, it's usually Joseph walking and Mary's, you know, sitting on a donkey. But scripture doesn't tell us that she rode on a donkey. It's just kind of something that we've assumed, oh, she must have rode on a donkey. Now she definitely could have ridden on a donkey, but likely Mary did not. And I'll tell you why. Uh, later on in Luke, Luke 2, 24, tells us that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph, they had nothing, but they wanted to offer a sacrifice at the temple because that's what you do when you have your firstborn. And they gave a poor, a poor man's sacrifice in the temple. They could not afford big animals for sacrifice. They could only afford little ones. And so it's more likely that Mary walked this route with Joseph, probably sat in the cart at times as, as Joseph pulled her. But whether they had a donkey or not, after the longest... Four days that you can ever imagine. Finally, little town of Bethlehem is off in a distance. And if you and I were to walk through ancient Bethlehem, if you and I could just kind of like put ourselves in the story, you know, time machine, the story, and, and you and I went down to Bethlehem and we perused the streets that night and explored the town. After a couple of minutes, you and I would be wondering, why did the king of the universe choose to land here in Bethlehem? It's hard to even call it a town. In fact, some historians believe it, it wasn't even big enough for walls. There's just not much of an economy, really not worth attacking. There's like roughly a thousand people. Everyone in town is either a shepherd, which would be a shameful, dirty profession at the time, or a poor farmer. The only thing that Bethlehem really had to offer was the surrounding hills were fertile hills, which is why this town was very much agrarian. So you and I, we would walk through Bethlehem and we would wonder like, why did the God of this universe choose this little spot? And the answer to that is incredible, but kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Verse six, verse six, it says, and while they were there, the time, gave, uh, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth through her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, there is so much prophetic imagery in this verse right here. It is often very much missed. And so if you write in your Bibles, I encourage you to write during this time. Um, this would not have been the only time that Mary wrapped Jesus in, in swaddling cloths. The wording for swaddling clothes or swaddling cloths, in the original language, it means these strips of cloth. And that same exact wording is later used when Mary wraps Jesus in strips of cloth after the crucifixion. So you just kind of imagine that as Mary stands over the bloodied, crucified body of Jesus, wrapping him. Did she have flashbacks to this moment right here? Wrapping his newborn skin in strips of cloth. This imagery is, is powerful. Then it says, and laid him, laid him in a manger. 
Now, when we picture mangers, usually, you know, like we think of like the standard nativity set, you know, outside like of a church or maybe like your house has it outside or like your neighbor's house has it outside. And, and usually it's like a wooden crib. Um, we always see, typically see it with wooden cribs. Here's the thing though, is mangers weren't, weren't wood. If you were to go to Israel today and you were to visit like archeological digs, you would almost for sure find ancient mangers. If you'd find a few, um, they're very popular around Israel. They were stone slabs with a bowl just kind of chiseled out of it. Almost looks like a farmhouse sink in a kitchen. And families would fill this with hay for their livestock. So Mary gets creative and just figures, oh, manger's a good crib. And I just gotta say, I love Mary's style. I like the mom that Mary is because she doesn't lug one of those freaking pack and plays with. I hate those pack and plays. They are the, anytime I see a dad carrying one, I always feel sorry for them. They're bulky, they don't click together. You know, you pinch four fingers just getting it up. And then the kid doesn't even sleep in it that night. So I think like Mary's, Mary, know, Mary would agree with me, she knows. And so she's just kind of creatively rolling with things and she picks a manger. But it's actually deeper than that. Um, Mary would have been there the day that Jesus's friends laid his body on another stone slab after his death. And again, I wonder if the moment they laid the bloody body of Jesus on that stone slab to prepare for burial, if she had a flashback to that moment that she laid this precious child on a stone slab manger. See, Luke 2.7 is, is just unbelievably powerful, isn't it? It's such a, such a good verse. Scripture is so good. We're going to unpack more though. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now for first century readers, you know, the immediate audience who would have read this, this would have been an obvious statement. You know, same region there were shepherds. We'd be like, okay, well, of course there were, because it's, it's Bethlehem. You know, you didn't have to tell us this. Now if you were to go to Bethlehem today, which by the way, I'd love to take you, uh, hoping to go soon, if and when things um, calm down. But um, if you go to, we'll put it this way, when you go to Israel, um, you'll notice that Bethlehem is built on a hill with fields all around. And on the sides of the hill are a series of caves. They're, they'd be, they're, they're called the shepherd's caves. And you can go today, and this is what we do. We go to Bethlehem and you just climb around in these, in these caves. So when the bridge goes to Bethlehem, I actually always have to argue with our tour guide because when we go into, it's Palestinian authority. So when you go in, you have to have this new tour guide. And, um, and I think there's like a deal between them and the church of the nativity because they always want to take you to the, you know, the place in the, the nativity. And usually churches want to go see like, oh, the old church. And, uh, and it's a cool church that you can go to. It's like built by Justinian. Um, but it's like this old ornate church and everyone waits in a long line and you get shushed by monks. It's like, you know, it's, really, it's like a really boring Disney world. And after a couple of hours and waiting in like this musty incense line, you walk into this like cave that's encased in gold where they think that Jesus was born. And, uh, and so this is not really our thing. So I always ask, because like, hey, skip the church. We don't want to go there. We just want to climb around in the cave for the afternoon. You know, the nuns aren't going to miss us. It's fine. And so, and so we'll go and we'll climb around We'll climb around in these, in these caves. This is actually, my, my wife is right here and this is Brian's, uh, Pastor Brian's wife. And I wanted to show this picture because most people think that Michelle is my wife. Uh, so much so that when I announce that, I, every time I've announced that I'm having a, a child, they always will approach, people always approach Michelle and be like, hey, congrats you know, on your baby. And uh, Nicole actually, her and I have become friends with Michelle's family and Michelle's family will laugh about how similar uh, they look. And Nicole and Michelle, they always say like, we don't look alike at all. We think people are crazy. It's like, okay, <laughs> you tell me, like, come on, you give people a break. But any, anyway, these, uh, these, 
these shepherds' caves would have been, would have been considered a, a legit biblical site. Um, this is what the shepherds would have used during this time. This is where they would have stayed um, with their sheep. So going back to verse nine, for some reason, God chooses these dirty shepherds to be the very first guests to see the king of the universe wrapped in strips of cloth lying on a stone slab. It's one of, if not the most like pictured part of the Christmas story, shepherds at the nativity. The problem is our familiarity with these words can dilute the extreme power of what's really going on here. And so I kind of want to take some time here and approach what we're looking at here with a fresh perspective. And I want to dig in just a little bit deeper here as to why, why did God choose this place? Why did God choose Bethlehem? We have a song about old little town of Bethlehem. Couldn't have been any other town. And typically we assume, well, God chose Bethlehem because like, that's just God's style, right? Like God loves the no names. God loves the underdogs. Like all the disciples were like underdogs. Nazareth, where God chose to grow, you know, Jesus chose to grow up. That was like a very poor no-name town. Then he went and he lived in Capernaum. That's another like no-name fishing village. Like God just likes no names. And yeah, okay, that's absolutely true. But there's far more to it. And when we dig more into why Bethlehem, we find this certain beauty. And so I want to dig in just a little bit deeper. Three things that Bethlehem had. Three things that Bethlehem had. These are in your notes. The first thing that Bethlehem had is the name this was, as Luke wrote, the town of the little town of David. The red-haired boy who took down Goliath. This was his stomping grounds. These were the surrounding, the surrounding fields were his, his workplace. You know, the story of like David taking down the, the bear and the lion. That, that would have happened in the, in the fields surrounding Bethlehem. And, and so though Bethlehem was very tiny, it did have this certain kingly reputation. When people thought of Bethlehem, yeah, it was small, but also like that's where kings come from because like the famed King David came from there. But it was more than that. The name Bethlehem itself is prophetic. And, and I love this. A little Hebrew lesson. Bethlehem is Bethlehem. Uh, bet meaning house, hem meaning bread. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So 30 years later, Jesus would announce, I am the bread of life. What he's saying is that our spirits depend on the spiritual bread of Jesus. So this is actually why in communion, when we take communion, communion has, uh, consists of bread because that's what Jesus used, his body that was broken for us. He is our spiritual bread, our spiritual sustenance. It's like you think about that. Every time we take communion together as a church family and we consume bread, we consume bread that came from the house of bread, Bethlehem. That's like wild imagery, isn't it? The second thing that Bethlehem had was the star. Talk about the star a little bit. The star, the, the depictions of the nativity, you know, they always include the, the star. And, and though the star was celestial, uh, scripture, scripture seems to communicate that it eventually came down to guide the Magi to the, to the house of Jesus. In fact, Matthew wrote this. He wrote, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And as the story goes, the, the star is leading the caravan, you know, toward Bethlehem. But a lot of people have asked like, okay, well, is this just a fairy tale? I mean, it's cute, right? Makes for great stories for kids. It's something cool to put on your Christmas tree or above your little nativity. But does this, this idea of like a star leading magi during, you know, the beginning of the first end of the, you know, BC, beginning of AD, like, is there legitimate evidence that this actually took place? Well, there's a few different theories 
um, when it comes to the Christmas star. And one theory is, is that what the Magi were following was a comet. And there is some evidence to this taking place during this time. So in uh, 1991, the Royal Astronomical Society published an article detailing this ancient Chinese document that was just found. And this document dated back to the, between the first century BC and the first century AD. So about around the time of Jesus's birth. And this ancient Chinese document traced the path of what they called a slow moving comet. The document states that the comet was visible for 70 days, which in and of itself is incredible, 70 days of visibility without the use of modern you know, telescopes. So this, this comet was visible for 70 days over Persia heading west. And so the date of the comet, the location of the comet and the direction of the comet, it all fits Matthew's account of what the Magi are tracking from the east to the west. Now, the second theory is that um, is, is what we call the star was a, a conjunction. Now, a conjunction is when two celestial bodies, so like planets or stars, appear, though they're not, but they appear to come together. So for example, like you ever like seen an eclipse? An eclipse would be like a conjunction, like the, the sun and the moon are coming together. Now they're not, they just appear to be, but from our vantage point, it looks like they're coming together. But this happens all the time with planets and, and stars. It happens all the time. And so this theory of the Christmas star uh, being a conjunction actually comes from six, 1603 when a guy named uh, Kepler witnessed a triple conjunction. And he did the math. He sat down and he did the, this is again, the 1603, did the math on, you know, how, how rare is these triple conjunctions that I'm looking at? And he found that it happens about every 400 years. If you kind of trace that back, it, it can align with, with what, who's, when some believe that Jesus was, um, was born. And so some people think, well, maybe the Magi are following, you know, they're tracking this like celestial conjunction that's happening. Um, one other theory that, that some people believe is that this Christmas star is actually an angel. And I know that's kind of like a cheap theory, kind of seems like a cheap theory, because it's like, oh, if I can't explain anything, we'll just say it's an angel. Um, but those who hold to it being an angel, they have some, they actually have, they have some good thoughts. Uh, so for example, the word that, that uh, Matthew uses for, these mat, uh, for the star, the Christmas star, is aster. Um, and the best translation from the Greek into English is, is star. But sometimes aster can mean angel. So for example, a few weeks ago when we started, you know, in, in Revelation, we started the Christmas series in Revelation. We looked at the dragon in Revelation and the dragon, his tail swept a third of the stars from heaven. Those stars were actually angels. The stars meant angels. And so some people think that, you know, this Christmas star is actually an angel. So different, different thoughts. I'll just put it this way. And I think this is good for Christians to just remember. This is not a hill to die on, Okay. So I just wanna make, make this clear. We're talking about theories. These are theories. This is not like proven science. True science is observable data that can be repeated. Supernatural events aren't repeatable. And so we can look at like the Chinese document or we can look at Kepler's data and we can think, okay, well, there's evidence that something was going on around that time and it was observed by a few different people. But until it's repeated, true science can't be like, okay, well, it was definitely that. So this is why, for example, the seven-day creation, which is something that I believe in, it is a theory. It is not observed by human, nor can it be, nor can it be repeated. Now, there's a ton of evidence, especially you know with the flood, but it is a theory. And to be fair, this is why the Big Bang and evolution is a theory. It is not proven science because it has not been observed and repeated. 
And so we have to work with the same paradigm when we look at things in scripture, like, you know, the Christmas star, what's, you know, does the Christmas star hold any water? Whatever celestial activity happened during this time, whether it was a comet or a, you know, planetary conjunction or an angel, it hasn't been repeated. It was a supernatural event. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? I think oftentimes we'll look at scripture and we get really like into it. And I do, you know, like, oh, I want to, I want to find out like what this was. And often what we try to do, is we try to like naturalize it, you know, to prove it. But the point is, this is a supernatural event pointing to a supernatural person. But it is a multi-source documented event. Something unusual was happening above. Now, I don't know if it matters to you, but I will give you uh, my theory on the star. This is just my opinion, okay? I actually think the star is God's glory. God's glory in scripture is called Shekinah. Shekinah, Shekinah glory, God's glory. I believe that Shekinah came to earth and it looked like a comet. And the reason that I think, I think that is because when Jesus on his ascension, we're gonna see this in January, but um, on Jesus' ascension, when Jesus ascended into heaven, it says that a cloud engulfed him when he went up. And the cloud would have been Shekinah glory took God's glory, took him away. So I think the glory of God brought him. And then I think the glory of God took him away. And then I think the glory of God will see that Shekinah when, when Jesus returns. But plenty of smarter people have other theories and that's totally fine. Um, whatever it was specifically, it was headed toward the house of bread. Third thing that Bethlehem had that night was the shepherds, the shepherds. The shepherds in this text are one of my favorite parts of, of Christmas. And, uh, and most don't understand the significance of these shepherds. So I want to talk about these shepherds for a little bit. Um, it's, you know, the shepherds, they've become like this cute part of the Christmas story, right? He was like the little shepherd boy. Uh, when I was a kid, there were, there were like nativities, you know, in our Sunday school, like our Sunday school would do like these nativities at church with the kids. Or my friend one time did like uh, nativity at their house, which is kind of weird now that I think about it. Like, hey, can you dress up as a shepherd and come on over and we'll just like stare at a baby to celebrate Christmas? I don't know. It's just kind of weird now that I think about it. But um, whenever I've been in nativities, when I was a kid, I've always been a shepherd. And I, I guess I could just give off shepherd vibes, which makes a little bit of sense because shepherds were considered to be dirty during this time. They were like homeless looking country bumpkins um, for many Shepherding at the time for many during this time was a shameful profession. Now that has changed. And I want to say that because not too long ago, I can't remember where I was speaking. It was not in Chicago area, but I, I'd, I was talking about the shepherds, you know, how it's a shameful profession. But, and I was living, we were out like in the country somewhere and like somebody came up and was like, dude, I'm a shepherd. And they were like actually ticked off. And I was like, hey, it was, I'm not talking about you, man. I was talking about like first century. So this is first century. This was just kind of the reputation. You know, it's just a dirty profession. You're camping out, you're camping out with animals and you can't shower and you smell like sheep and you sleep outside. Like, so shepherding during this time tended to attract a certain clientele. So if you're somebody who's just kind of hard to work with, a little rough around the edges, you know, you don't fit well in the social marketplace, shepherding's a great option. You can just be with animals outside. And so this is like, this was the reputation. So much so that when shepherds arrived in like an, in a region and they would head into town, the people in the town would grumble. It's like, ah, oh my goodness, we got to deal with these shepherds, these guys now. Because they, they tended to smell, they tended to be vulgar, they'd rip you off, they tended to drink a lot. And yet these are the guys who come waltzing into the, the, the delivery room that night. And a big reason they were invited is because they represent you and me. 
it's not just me who's the shepherd. Welcome to being a shepherd too. <laughs> he, Jesus would later say that he came for the sick, not the healthy. But there's far more to these shepherds and it, it, it brings so much more beauty to Christmas. You ever hear people say, um, well, Jesus couldn't have been born on December 25th anyways. You ever hear people say that? I got people tell me that sometimes. Like, what's the point you're trying to make here? It's like, okay, well, Merry Christmas to you too. You know, like, you must be the fun person to have at parties. Like, come on, wait, what do you, you know, well, of course we know that. We don't know what day he was born. But like, uh, this has become a big thing. In fact, on the History Channel right now, we'll run, you know, Christmas specials, documentaries about, well, you know, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. And the History Channel, by the way, cracks me up lately. During the day, it's like, here's the Roman Empire. And it shows all these facts. And you turn on the History Channel at night, it's like the pyramids are here alien antennas, you know, it's just like, but what happened to that from the beginning? But um, right now, if you were to turn on the History Channel during the day, not at night, but during the day, um, you would just get a lot of specials on, you know, we don't know when Jesus was born, probably wasn't, you know, the 25th. And then, and then you get like know-it-all Uncle Rick, then repeating it at your family Christmas party. And the main reason that people say that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th is because uh, shepherding during this time in December in Israel, people didn't shepherd during this time. You'd go to greener areas. Uh, shepherds tended to go to different regions. And that is true, but not the Bethlehem shepherds. See, Bethlehem became this major uh, lamb shepherding hub called Migdal Adair. In fact, the Old Testament talks about Migdal Adair. But here's what would often happen. So if you were Jewish during this time, once a year, your family would, would make a sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. And you'd have to, if you didn't live in Jerusalem, you would have to trek there. And so some families, they would bring their lamb with and they would, they would travel to Jerusalem with their lamb. But that's kind of inconvenient, right? Not only do you have to like travel all the way to Jerusalem, but now we have to bring a lamb. So we have to carry the lamb. We have to carry its water. We have to find food for it. We have to make sure it doesn't get picked off by other animals as we're camping out. Like that's just a really big headache. And so what a lot of families would do during this time is they would go to Migdal Adair, which was Bethlehem, uh, a place year round where you could buy sheep close to Jerusalem. Just wait, instead of packing the sheep, we can just stop in Bethlehem, pick up a sheep. And it became this very big enterprise. Now here's where things kind of get interesting. Because these sheep in Migdal Adair were going to be sacrificed in the temple, they had to be certified if they were going to be sold to pilgrims. And to be certified, they had to be spotless, perfectly healthy white lambs. And so these shepherds in Bethlehem, they were special shepherds in that they were specialized. They would certify lambs. As a lamb was born, they would be there. Be like, okay, that one has a spot. We can't sell that one to pilgrims. We have to sell that to another shepherd. Uh, this one is spotless. This is, good for, this is good for sacrifice. That is certified. We can, we can give that to, to pilgrims heading into Jerusalem. Now you might be kind of making some connections right now, but it's like pretty, pretty incredible these shepherds show up to the final sacrificial lamb. And you could argue that in a ceremonial symbolic way, they are there to do what they do to certify for future sacrifice. It's pretty amazing, the Christmas story. Luke tells us in verse 17, when they, meaning the shepherds, saw it, meaning the baby, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. I love imagining the shepherds, they can't keep their mouth shut. As pilgrims stop by Migdal Adair or Bethlehem to purchase lambs for sacrifice, the, the shepherds are talking. They, we just saw the final sacrificial lamb. They're like, what? 
Like, you guys closing up? I mean, man, the old prophets talk about you. We've been open for generations. It's like, no, we're not closing shop yet. We saw him, though. Like, like the one we've been waiting for, you know, the promised one, the Messiah. Uh, the angels told us about him the other night. We went and saw him. You know, people are walking away thinking, okay, yeah. All right, why would God appear to those rednecks out in the field here? And the answer to that is pretty amazing. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Is that a line that you can actually sing? Of all of my hopes, hopes of future opportunities, hopes of dating, hopes of getting married, hopes of having kids, hopes of getting healthy, hopes of getting grandkids, of all my hopes, are they really met in that manger? That all that I hope for, no matter what it is, there is something better. There is Jesus Christ. And so whether I get that opportunity or not, whether I get that date or not, whether I get healthy or not, I get Jesus. And my hope is met in him. Nothing this world has to offer can compare to what God gives through Jesus. My hopes are met in thee. And not just my hopes of all my fears, of all the anxieties that can weigh so heavy, especially this time of year, those anxieties that can just weigh on you, the, the loneliness. Maybe it's the crumbling marriage or the piling debt or the threat of layoffs or the sick loved one. Of all my fears, they're met in God in flesh. They come hell or high water. No matter how hard the days get, no matter how dark the night turns, there is something great ahead. Eternal life with my creator. My hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, that the king of the universe, the creator of the celestial expanse took on flesh to come and get me to be that final sacrificial lamb. Like, yeah, that night in Bethlehem, he's dressed in strips of cloth and he's laid on a rock slab, symbolically certified for sacrifice, future sacrifice. But 30 years later, six miles north, the ancient prophecies will be fulfilled. God in flesh died on a tree. But three days later, he unwrapped those strips of cloth and he sat up off that cold stone slab, defeating death. He offers us something greater than we could ever hope for. And all our fears are eclipsed in him. Like the house of bread gives us bread to live on. He is the bread of life. He is everything. Do you have Jesus? Do you have him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, Merry Christmas, church. I pray that the richness of this text just wrecks your Christmas this year but in the most beautiful way. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.